This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. It's TechFan47, and we're completely out of ideas for an intro. Intros are hard, David. I know. And welcome to Tech Fan number 47. My name is Tim Robertson, stationed at the home office, but the world traveler David Cohen is here as well. Hello, David. This is the Botswana field office calling. I tell you, that's you're going to have to rent a flat there or something, man. Don't. <laughs> I had such a nightmare journey getting here. Really? The last thing I want to do is actually stay here full time, yeah. Well, see, last uh, week I did it with uh, Frank at Mac Specialist. I've got some news about that coming up, by the way. Um, and you were in Las Vegas or you were heading back from Las Vegas. Yeah. And now you're in Africa. Now I'm in Africa. What the hell? (laughs) The only continent I've not covered at the moment and in, in my work life is, uh, South America. America. No, I've done South America. I've spent some time in Brazil, um, Australia and Antarctica. So what um, are you going to do in Antarctica? I mean. You can just imagine Tech Fan coming live from McMurdo Station. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> It'd be a first, that's for sure. Yeah, it probably won't be possible. I don't think. I don't think um, high bandwidth internet is pretty much a, a priority. I would imagine not. No, no, that's heat. We I want heat. I'd, yeah, I'd probably have to record the show, put it on the USB stick, and attach it to a penguin, send it to you. So it actually has been quite a uh, eventful couple weeks here. And probably the biggest news, David, is Windows 8 uh, demonstration at the Build Conference. Um, I got some text from people thinking that I would just, you know, tear it apart. Can't wait to hear what you say and blah, blah, blah. And um, I have to be honest, David, even though I'm not going to rush out and buy Windows 8 and I could anybody could download the alpha version of it right now, which is when you think about quite smart on microsoft's part i think they're they're giving access free with instructions on how to set windows up as a virtual machine so you can play with it uh, well obviously they you know they they have a, a reason behind that they need developers yes um, but they, to open it up so. to anybody i mean apple does the same thing except for they only open it up to developers like if you want ios 5 right now the only legal way you can get it is to be a developer. Whereas Microsoft yeah. is just like, yeah, anybody go ahead and download with it, download it, play with it. I think that's brilliant. It's, it's certainly very positive. Uh, there's a lot. I, I know, I know there's been some quite negative reactions from certain parts of the press this week over windows eight. I think it's too early to be positive or negative. I agree. Um, you know, to, certainly to come to a conclusion, um, because this is literally the first time they've shown this thing off. Uh, and uh, there's a long way to go before it's ready. That is a problem for them. I think they run, uh, you know, they've got some pretty good ideas in this, and they've got some ideas that are really at the moment I don't fully understand, and time is going to tell how they're going to pan out. But I think the problem they're going to face is that in the meantime, the market is moving on. And um, Yeah, you know, we're this at least would, a year this, out. Yeah, exactly. And if this were to launch tomorrow... You know, fully formed, complete with hardware and everything else. Um, then I think it'd be fairly interesting. I think the difficulty is is that a year is a long time in this industry at the moment, and uh, the tablet, certainly the tablet market space, I think it's going to look very different next year. This I time agree. Next year. I agree. Yeah, I mean, the iPad three will most likely be out. The iPhone five will be out, and people will be looking forward to iPhone six. Yeah. Um, and Microsoft's just going to be entering the market with a what they hope is a competitive product. But it's not just tablets, though, David. Windows 8 is desktop software as well. And you never have to see even the Metro interface on a desktop PC. You can drop down into conventional Windows type of an environment, which... Well, this, this, is, the, this is where I get confused. 
because effectively there's two despite the way they've pitched it saying it's all windows it's all windows there's actually two separate streams here there's the uh, x86 um, conventional version of windows 8 that also has very good touch support built in and and can run on a tablet in a in uh, this using this metro interface which is a bit like uh, windows and phone 7 yeah so uh, and and unlike um android and all these people being sued by apple at the moment this is a completely original U- ui and you got to give them credit there unlike it seems anyways all the other tablet operating system makers out there from rim to hp to android Microsoft is blazing their own trail. They didn't simply look at what Apple's done and said, let's do that. They are going for a completely different ground up. And I give them a huge amount of credit there. As Mac users, we've for years said Microsoft doesn't come up with anything innovative or original. They just copy what's out there. Well, that's Google now. Google's the one that does that. That's right. Now Microsoft is the one that's innovating. What kind of Uh, bizarro world do we live in here, David? Well, yeah, absolutely. However, um, Microsoft has done this before, and what you find is that they put um, a new interface on their operating system, but underneath it's still the same thing. The, the The risk, I guess, with the x86 Windows 8 versions is that how how deep in the system are you going to be able to get before all of a sudden you're, you're presented with the old Windows interface, and then you're trying to navigate it with a finger? Because that's where it falls apart. Because... Um, the reason that Windows Windows Seven is pretty good on touch, uh, I've used it on a touch PC. But the problem is, is the um, interface, all the controls, all the little dialogues and um, window controls and the scroll bars and everything just don't work well with a finger because they're designed to be clicked on with a mouse, and you can't kind of adapt them um, successfully and 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 allow you to use them with a touch interface. That's the whole point of putting the Metro UI into Windows Eight is to is to not have you do that. However. Um, if you if you basically have something that, that that's a skin and runs um, specially designed apps, almost like Dashboard does on on OS X, and then as soon as you get past that and you need to do something in the base system, you're going to end up back in the old interface. Then that's going to be a bit of a failure. And I think until we've seen this more this product more mature, we're not going to know whether that's that's a uh, something they've succeeded at or failed at. But, However, with that being said, you do have to give them credit for going a different route. Yeah, absolutely, blazing um, their I th- own trail. I think I think the risk the risk with that strategy is that they have been here before with PCs that do touch, and they've never particularly sold well. They're more expensive than a conventional laptop. You get a lot of the disadvantages of a conventional laptop in terms of size, um, weight, and battery life heat generation and everything while you're still dealing with the touch interface so um but the rewards me, are pretty great i think the rewards are the, the rewards are pretty good but i i just ask apple I d- yeah but the thing is look at look at apple you can't buy a touch version of the mac and effectively what what microsoft are trying to do here is push it is push a touch version of windows right the big difference and, between the mac and the windows a year from now is apple's going to have in essence, two operating systems, Mac OS, iOS, and Windows is still going to have one interface, ah. one operating system well, I, I, see, that this runs is, on this a lot the, of things. This is where I think they've pulled a magic trick, because actually it's all smoke and mirrors, and there are two operating systems. Because there's Windows 8 for x86, and then there's Windows 8 for ARM, which is Windows 8 compiled to run on the ARM processor to which is aimed at more iPad style devices, the ARM processor for the low power, um, you know, highly optimized. But we don't know what devices. we don't know what what's going to be coming out from Intel a year from now. We know for a fact that Intel's got that three hundred million dollar bounty for PC makers to start making super thin laptops. Um, yeah, and I, we know I that don't... they're trying to innovate to get into the to the that market. They want to be in mobile. Yeah, I I agree, but I don't think they're going to be able to. They're not going to be able to get give you a ten hour battery life x eighty six machine with a yeah. screen that size and all of that. Look at the Mac, the eleven inch MacBook Air, which effectively is the closest thing Apple has to an iPad in a in a de- in a laptop form factor. It's got a five hour battery life. Yeah, but you know, you know and if Apple X80's, can't pull it off, well, uh, uh, Intel not going to be able to pull it off either. Not not in not, in, not in twelve months. Not in twelve months. No. No. But no, I, I just I don't I don't believe that. I think 
this is this is the smoke and mirrors trick that Microsoft have done. I think their strategy is more conventional than it might appear. I think they've got a stream that for the PCs, which is the X86 Windows stream, and then they've got a, a stream for iPad-style tablets, which is the ARM stream. And the problem is they are, despite the fact they're going to look similar, they are completely different. You can't take a PC application and run it on the ARM version of Windows without re- recompiling it for ARM. Um, so you're not going to be able to pick up one of an, an ARM tablet and, um, you know, run, uh, I don't know, PageMaker or something like that, some PC app, and just install it on that tablet and run it. You're going to need to have dedicated software designed for the ARM system, which means effectively it's a separate operating system to Windows 8 for, for x86. Yep. It might, look, it might look the same, but it's actually going to be different. Now, Microsoft, I'm sure, will develop Office for it and all of their core applications for it, but it remains to be seen whether other developers will. And I think the other risk with ARM is that we've seen some major manufacturers this year get really burned by trying to compete with the iPad head to you know head to head in the tablet space. But I think Android uh, Android's not doing well. RIM is selling really badly. HP have pulled out the market with a fire sale. Um, so the question is going to be: no matter how good ARM for ARM Windows Windows 8 on ARM is, are any of the hardware manufacturers going to say? You know what? We're going to take a punt on this and develop a product that runs it. I think they almost That's have the, to, though. I mean, I think they have to develop products for it. They don't have a choice. They're not in the game if they don't. Well, but I think the question is: HP have decided after spending a lot of money not to be in the game anymore. Well, but Rim I think are, the, the Rim difference... are, are clinging on by their fingernails. Yeah. The que- I think that there, there's a real risk that in 12 months' time, a lot of players will have said, "You know what? The iPad is too far ahead." We can't compete in this market, so we're just not going to bother. I the don't, iPad I don't see it. that happen. I don't see it. I don't think the the rest of the the market out there is ready to concede an entire massive market to Apple. I don't. I, and I think they would be foolish to. I think the this market is so large that it can easily support two, even three, competing products. It easily. could do. If they're up to the to the right, if they're up to the quality of the iPad, and it's not just the hardware, it's not just the software that runs on it, it's the whole ecosystem. Well, I think that's and, what Microsoft's kind of addressing, though, don't you? Uh, well, they're, they're trying, but I. I it's the, too early to di- say whether they're going to or not. I, you yeah, know. The, the difficulty is is that Microsoft can't make people develop the hardware. Apple never had to make people develop the hardware because they developed it themselves. I think there is, there is a problem is that Microsoft might have to literally throw money at hardware developers well they've got the money to do it though yeah they may they may have to but in in that case it's not going to be a quick win for them it's going to be more the xbox star model where they need to stay in the game but i don't think anybody knows yeah well that's what i said that that hp should have done don't look at sales figures for two years just crank it out there and you know you'll you'll have a competitive product in two years but it's there's no magic bullet here and I think that the smart PC manufacturers out there are going to realize it. They're going to be in it for the long haul. And eventually, they'll have competing products that match up very well against the iPod and that juggernaut. But if they think foolishly that we're just going to come out with one product that's going to be really hot, it's going to take the market by storm, and we're going to just eat right into that market share, I think they're deluding themselves. But I don't I think any of them are... <laughs> I don't think any of them think that. I really don't. I, I, I question whether anybody. I think a lot of people do think that. I, I think HP thought that. I think Rim thought that. Maybe you know all this all this bullish talk you get um, before these products launch is you know, and then they fail to execute. I think is is very much an example of that. It's it's an it's a, like a level of arrogance. It's like well, this 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 market is easy. All you need to do is just put something in there that's half decent and people will just lap it up and it's not that sort of market at all no. and i think a lot of pc manufacturers don't understand that well if they would just hire us and put us in charge we take care of it for i know them, this is a thing you know we i think our track record speaks for itself tim i i you know <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um you know i i do i did i did uh I did tweet a couple of things about uh, the Windows 8 launch. There was a lot. Of, there was a bit of fuss over the fan. Jim Dower and yeah. Global Loop. Really, yeah. I mean, he's, he's been ragging on BlackBerry for a long time for their playbook, and he really went to town on the fact that the demo hardware, which is, uh, you know, it's a core. It basically, it's like kind of like a thick MacBook Air and a tablet form. Correct. Um, 
you know, had a fan in it and uh, it was running pretty hot on when by some of the reviewers who looked at it when they were looking at Windows 8. And he, he just kind of, you know, he said, well, that that's a fail. And it's um, like, well, Jim, this is demo. This is not shipping product. This is to get the product that's in alpha format um, into people's hands so they can at least experience what it's like. This yeah. is I, not hardware that you can go buy. And, and it I, is. I, I, I think I think that what it does illustrate is for the for the x86 tablet space there's still some fairly major hardware challenges to solve yep. you know you can't you can't put i mean even even the macbook air if you crank it up the fan starts to run absolutely um, you know so and and if you if the fan's running if you've got one of those processes in there and this is what i tweeted i said you're not going to get more than five hours battery life out of it and i don't think that's good enough for that sort of tablet only product not for a slate. Uh, it needs to be. I agree. I think it needs to be yeah. at least seven to eight hours. So, exactly. Seven to eight. If you can get a working day out of it and then to recharge it, it's fine. If you're trying to look for a power port during the day, then you failed. Effectively, I agree. Particularly in a handheld device. So that's what they've got to, got to uh, solve. And if they can't solve that before the products launch next year, then I don't see the x86 slate version doing particularly well. I think it'll, it'll turn into a laptop, laptop OS only. The ARM version, we'll, we'll have to see. We've not seen any hardware for that yet. Well, time will tell, I guess. I hey, Look, I'm looking forward to eventually getting my hands on a Windows 8 slate. Um, as you know, you know, I, I've got the, the HP touchpad. I've got another device that's winding its way to me as we speak, and I don't want to talk about that until I actually have it in my hand and have some time to play with it, and the company is... Well, I'll call them up before I say anything because I want to make sure they don't don't cancel the project. You know, a week after I talk about it on the show, I don't want to be we, that we all, guy. We all know, yeah, we all know that you know once bitten twice shy with these guys. That's right. Yeah, maybe, don't give it to maybe Tim. Them, we'll yeah, maybe get it. them. Maybe get them. Send me one as well while you're at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, I don't know. I there. I think Microsoft's done a lot of really cool things. I think that their contracts is a great idea. I don't know if you uh, followed that at all. Yeah. And, and so, so the, yeah, the idea that effectively you can turn any piece of software into a service for the operating system. Right. So if you make a Twitter client and uh, you include a contract in it, any other applications that will accept contracts can also take that Twitter feed in and use it in their app. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good idea, and I think it's actually a better idea than what Apple's doing with twitter and ios 5 don't make it a system-wide thing make it an app independent thing that the apps can support sharing information and resources just just to play devil's advocate for a minute um i've been bitten before by microsoft putting these things that sound like great ideas into their software and then they turn out to be huge security problems um, ActiveX is a good example that they built into Internet Explorer because that had fast. David, I don't know. What, I don't know what you're talking about. Microsoft doesn't has <laughs> never had security issues with their OS. I don't know what you know. You got to stop perpetuating they have rumors. A, unfortunately, they do have a track record of the engineers <laughs> putting system wide, very powerful functions into bits of software that uh, malware authors can exploit to uh, to heck and back. Really, I don't know what you're um, talking about. <laughs> So uh, I read about contracts, and I thought, cool idea, but it's only going to work if they actually uh, really keep a very close eye on the applications. Don't, don't, the be, a, don't be a hater. Uh, I'm not being a hater. I'm just being a really. <laughs> don't be a hater. So <laughs> we got a few other topics that we're going to talk about today, but let's take our first break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Looking for in-depth coverage of the Mac universe? How about hard-hitting interviews with industry leaders with all the questions you want to ask? Or detailed product reviews for programs costing thousands of dollars? Then you should definitely find something other than the MyMac.com podcast. The MyMac.com podcast is the show for every Mac user. Fun, entertaining, with news, reviews, and interviews with people just like you who want more from a podcast than just talking heads. Find us on iTunes by doing a search for My Mac and get ready for a good time. I used to like talking heads. And we are back on Tech Fan. Tim Robertson joined by world traveler David Cohen. David, I read a book last week that had I not been working, I would have read in probably two days. But as it was, it took me about a week to read. And um, it may be my favorite book in a very long time. 
And I'm oh. pulling it up right now because I don't want to um, say the wrong one. It's called Ready Player One. Uh, I read it as an ebook, and you can get the uh, the ebook ebook version for like thirteen bucks or something. It's it's pretty cheap. I'm sorry, eleven ninety nine. Uh, Ernest Klein is the guy who wrote it, and this is his first book. And wow. Ernest Klein is one of us, David. Uh, this story takes place in the future, and most people live in a virtual world for the most part. Um, so far, you know, if I would have just read that description, I would have been like, eh. Yeah. Except the guy who created this utopia, if you will, this virtual world, dies. And as part of his will, and he's kind of a Steve Jobs slash Bill Gates character. He has this contest that if you can find three keys and open these three doors and solve the whatever it is, you get his fortune, which includes ownership of the company that produces this thing. Right. And uh, the virtual world is called Oasis. And this guy was born around the same time we were. And he had an infatuation with 80s culture. And because of this contest, 80s culture becomes this massive thing in this virtual world. And so it's kind of kind of a spin on the uh, kind of the uh, Neil Stevenson, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of uh, snow crash type. Yes. Type thing, isn't it? Yes. It's first person, the whole book. But I have to say, I haven't enjoyed a book at this level. In probably a decade. I mean, and that's high praise because I read quite a bit. It is, yeah. This is a fantastic book. Anybody listening to this show, I guarantee you, you will like this book. I just bought it for my Kindle app. Did you? You're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to come back next week and say, you know what? I, I read that book and wow, that was really good. So next week, David, uh, if you finish it before then, I know you're, you know, working in Africa right now. No, yeah, well, I am here, yeah, but I've also got a... 12 hour plane flight to get home there so you go. Yeah, uh, i should that. get it sorted um <laughs> read that book let me know what you think on the next tech fan i'd like to hear your thoughts on it because uh the person who it's funny frank who we had on the show last week uh yeah. lambier he's the one who recommended it to me but i had already had it on my ipad i just hadn't started reading it yet so cool. that was kind of funny and then uh something happens in this book and i don't want to spoil it for you yet but they reference a very rare video game on the TRS-80. Mm-hmm. And it actually plays kind of a significant role in the book, right in the middle. And almost anybody reading this book would not recognize this game, David. The funny thing is, I have a TRS-80. And the only game I have for it is the game that he mentions. <laughs> so I actually went and filmed the TRS-80 and then pulling this video game off screen on screen and i sent that to frank and i said here's yeah. my here's my geek cred <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah. it, it was pretty cool that the guy mentioned so this if, game. if you don't if you don't if you don't appear on the show next week we know you've disappeared into virtual world the oasis absolutely <laughs> so david let's talk a little bit about something controversial um this guy's always uh, controversial mike errington of course uh the guy who started TechCrunch online publication, which I I kind of liked the idea of what he started TechCrunch for, which is to kind of bring attention to startups that's worth knowing about and learning about them before they hit mainstream. I kind of like that idea. And had he had some, what's the word I'm looking for? Ethics? <laughs> I was about to pitch into that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it would have been even better. Unfortunately, the guy didn't seem to have very many ethics. And TechCrunch was kind of his platform to attack anything that he didn't agree with. You know what? There's, this kind of frustrates me. Um, there, there's, a, there's a certain type of person who, you know, a lot of them are, uh, are centered around Silicon Valley, who have these great ideas have a lot of passion, have the ability to get things done and, you know, really have the potential to change the world. And unfortunately, a lot of them are 
that's egomaniacs idiots you know they're they're uh, you know they're just horrible horrible people with um somewhat dubious morals yeah it just and, makes you shake your head and, like what a waste yeah and and also people who really like the sound of their own voices and um, <laughs> not you that know, we would know what that's like don't, well, we don't. We don't do this because we like the sound of our own voices. I we do. do this because other people like the sound of our voices. <laughs> no ego there. <laughs> no, but the thing. The thing is, Aren't have you ever? Look, look, no, just to just to just to put this into context. Joking aside, right? Have you ever? You've been doing this for an awful long time. Uh-huh. You're very well known in the Mac community. Have you ever said to anybody, "Do you know who I am"? No, no, right? These guys say a few times I've wanted to, but but that's you know what? That's the difference between somebody who's a normal person and somebody who's what I would call, uh, to use a British word, a pillock, right? I I don't know if you could qualify me as normal, but okay, (laughs) do you know what I mean? I do. We all have we all have an internal moral barometer, yeah, that put that you know basically squashes down our ego and the times that we might want to behave perhaps a little bit inappropriately and say, you know what, that's not the sort of person I am. Yeah. A lot of these people, I'm thinking of Arrington, people like Jason Calacanis is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they don't have that internal barometer. So basically whatever they think and whatever they think of people comes out of their mouth. And unfortunately, the more successful they are, the more arrogant they become. And, I call, uh, it, you I know, call it not having a don't be a dick um Exactly. <laughs> exactly. A little voice in your... Don't be a dick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, Michael Erickson, unfortunately, is... is Now, <laughs> I say this just from what I hear of him, because obviously I don't know him personally, but the way he behaves in public and the way he behaves in private that he then allows to become public is extremely, extremely distasteful. And, uh, you know, this... This latest episode, which we've talked about for five minutes without even mentioning, um, is is a prime example of it. So the situation is that um, TechCrunch was sold uh, by Arrington to AOL. Yep. Um, was about 12 months ago, something like that? Well, somewhere around in there. And then yeah. about six yeah. months ago, they also bought um, the Huffington Post. Yeah, which is another big uh, blog site that's more political than tech, but it's kind of... You know, it's kind of a political version of what TechCrunch is in some respects, in that, you know, very near near the wall, um, straightforward political commentary, very well connected. Yep, um, and they took uh, that- the person who's, who started the Huffington Post, Ariana, what is her name? Anna Huffington. A- Anna Huffington. No, it's Ariana Huffington. Ariana Huffington. And yeah. they made her the content manager, basically, of all the websites underneath AOL than their publishing branch, which which may actually account for why the unofficial Apple weblog has kind of lost a little bit of its bite. But yeah. regardless, um, everybody knew that Mike Arrington wasn't going to stand for that. And well, no, he he likes he likes the sound of his own voice, yes. and he doesn't what he doesn't like is somebody else telling him what he can and can't do. Um, now, Mike's had some different. He's <laughs> Some business, some business difficulties in the past. Yep. He was involved in an, an attempt to bring a um, a tablet to market called the Crunchpad. That apparently, despite the fact he's a trained lawyer, he never signed any contracts with the manufacturer for. That's right. And they basically screwed him over for uh, the intellectual property. Yep. Is is what he said. Uh, they said something different, but in 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 it, whatever the the, the actual situation, it ended badly for both sides. Well, um, it ended really badly for Mike because he got nothing out of it. Yeah, uh, well, the other, let's face it. The other there's, there's a there's a question mark about whether he engineered the situation because he saw the thing was going to be a failure. It's hardly been a a roaring success. But well, it anyway, yet. It's, it's still vapor. Well, the first the first version did, but it it's yeah. just never gone anywhere. It just right. wasn't very good. Um, he's also involved in venture venture capital funding, and uh, for a long time he basically didn't talk about stuff on uh, on the TechCrunch blog that he was involved in because he felt it was a conflict of interest. But he would kind of do things on the side that was a little bit at the fringes, the edges of that. And he would also quite publicly call out other people he felt had conflicts of interest in a, in a fairly unpleasant way. A good example of that would be when uh, he called out 
Leo Laporte. Yeah, he had a very public spat with him where he, uh-huh. he basically, on live on a podcast, accused him of being a paid shill for Palm. Yep. And uh, Aaron, uh, Leo was actually running the podcast at the time, and he actually stopped the show. Yep. And um, said that he would not do that particular show again, which was, it was not one of his shows, it was somebody else's. Um, he said he wouldn't do that show again if Arrington was on it. Yep. And, um, and, he does, and I don't know if he has or not. Leo, well, I Leo's think, kind of... I think Go ahead. Yeah, and really, you know, Leo's got a pretty much a nice guy image. For him to start swearing live at somebody on a on a on a show he's he's actually running is uh you know is is kind of it's a bit beyond the pale for him, and it shows you how much Arrington had got under his skin. Yep. Uh, um, and and really, you know, I I heard this the piece at the time, and and what Arrington said was completely unprovoked. Yep. You know, there was no call for it, really. He just liked to be a dick. <laughs> well, he was asking Leo, did you actually pay for that phone? Did you pay for it? And Yeah, that's right, yeah. The implication always... being, well, they gave it to you for free, so you'll say nice things about it. Yeah. So, anyways. So, anyway, they, um, Arrington has now engineered a departure from TechCrunch and AOL. Um, and it's all kind of murky. Apparently, AOL were going to set up their own venture fund which he was going to head um and then he said he turned around and said well he wants to talk about these funds you know on TechCrunch." and uh ariana said no you can't do that it's conflicts of interest and he then basically said well if if i if i can't do what i want either aol needs to sell TechCrunch back to me or they need to shut it down which <laughs> is Kind of like you know, not the only choices AOL had, and they took the third one, which is to give him the unceremonious sack. Yeah. Um, the difficulty is, is that he was also involved in some um, one of these new media contest um, conferences. Yeah, where where they they rapidly evaluate evaluate um, you know startup pro- promotions and where these guys come and present on their ideas, and then there's a fifty thousand dollar prize. And it was now, run by TechCrunch. That was it the- was run by TechCrunch, and uh, somebody at TechCrunch actually did a post that said uh, that that reported it was called on the it. Disrupt meant- conference, by the way. Yeah, they reported that three of the companies that were in the running had been had been shortlisted for the prize, and that Arrington had not had anything to do with that decision. At which point, Arrington appears in the comments and said, actually, um, I did have something to do with the decision. I discussed it with your editor and don't tell lies about me, um, which was kind of weird. And then, sure enough, top three, top three out no, of five. No, out of the well, no, the, the top, the top th- two of the three that made it in the top three were, were ones that he was an investor in. Yeah. The, but the one that won wasn't one of his. But the ones that came in second and third were. Yeah. And even and, writers at TechCrunch were like, really? This is too much. Yeah. It's, it, you know, this is kind of his big, one of these things he likes to do, which is the big stick your finger up at everybody routine by engineering a situation like this. And, you know, the problem is, if I were in if I were in his position, I would be thinking about the companies I'm representing and what this is going to do. I don't think he's them. doing them any business any uh, favors. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely, you know, because I would imagine they're going to be the um, the poor trash of Silicon Valley going forward. You know, I'm not <laughs> saying that Mike Arrington isn't intelligent, and I'm not even saying that his opinions on startups is wrong. I think he's he's called it a few times and enough times to show that he actually does know what he's talking about here but man do you have to have so much damn baggage i mean just shut up for a while and you know he seems to believe that the the best way to get publicity for the things he's involved in is by generating his own publicity rather than letting the represent speak for themselves well there's no such thing as bad publicity as as has been told before uh, i mean he's getting uh, ink i'd never would have heard of these these uh other startups if it wasn't for this one article yeah i'm i'm not a big subscriber to the thing there's no such thing as bad publicity i think you know there is publicity and there is you know negative negative publicity is 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 not about the story itself it's about what sticks in people's mind afterwards and unfortunately i think particularly nowadays with the fact that you, you know any 
anytime you hear of a if you if you hear of a company suppose a company comes to you tim robertson and says you know i want uh, my mac to invest in us uh and you you say oh i've heard the name of that company before you know a quick quick type into google and the first thing that's going to come up is Arrington did this while representing this company. Arrington did that while representing that. And you're going to you're going to think, oh, these guys are with Mike Arrington. I don't want to touch them in the barge pole. Yeah, that's true. No, there is the the problem is public. There's no such thing as negative publicity when people have a short memory, but Google's got a very long memory, yeah, and so these things point. stick around. You know. Yeah, I just thought that's it was interesting. Bit. I thought it would be fun to get you know talk chat about it here on the show a little bit. Um, I could tell you from. Uh, Look, I'm a publisher, uh, not at the level that Mike Arrington has been at, but I've been doing it a hell of a lot longer than he has. And the lapses of, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, morality, when it comes to the publishing industry, he's been guilty more often than not of doing stuff that I never would have even considered. Yeah. And that anybody who's been publishing for even you know even half as long as I have, which is stretching back to 1995, would just know you don't do this. Uh, the problem he has is that Pete, he's a loose cannon. People don't think he's stable. They never know what he's going to do, and they also don't trust what he says mm -hmm. because he very often will say one thing and did then do the exact opposite. Yeah. Or he'll say one thing and then six months later do the exact opposite and say, well, this time it's different, or this is the reason why. And the problem is, is that ultimately, you know, he's trading on his ability. All he needs to do is hit a bad patch and he's gone. That's because true. Because everyone will go, you know, that guy who was such a dick. Well, now he's proved he's a dick because now he's lost the magic touch as well. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Whereas if, you, you know, if you're a good guy, you're a nice guy, you have some respect. Then if you have a bad patch, people will probably go, you know what? He's having a bad patch, uh, but he'll come back because we believe in him. That's that's that's. I think that's the situation he's in. So, you know, I hope for his own sake he continues to be successful. And I do, I do feel sorry for some of the companies he represents because I think um, they're really getting into bed with something that's that's it's going to be a pretty wild ride and and may not come out well for them because it's hard to know whether he puts himself or the people he represents first. Oh, I think that's um, pretty obvious. Well, I think I think he believes he's putting them first by behaving the way he does, but I don't think he has the right perspective on it. Yeah. Well, let's take our last break, and we're going to come back. Uh, you want to talk about the iPod Shuffle? We're also going to yeah. talk about uh, some of the genres of games from the 80s and 90s that kind of, well, they're not really popular anymore, and what happened. Yeah. And then we're going to wrap up with uh, some of the issues that I've had with my MacBook Air. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Travis Bryce from the geekiest show ever. And yep, you guessed it, GSE is back. Maybe not better than ever, but it's listenable. We talk about great things such as old video games. We'll talk about our podcasting setup. And uh, we'll talk about why nickels are the greatest invention ever. So uh, give us a listen. Geekiest show ever, only on the MyMac Podcasting Network. You stay golden, pony boy. Last segment of Tech Fan number 47, and I tried a new soup today, David, for lunch. And what was that? Well, a guy at, uh, at work, Mac Specialist, um, I smelled it yesterday, and I was like, wow, that smells just delicious. What are you eating? And he said, it's a new from Chunky. It's a Chunky Campbell soup. It was grilled chicken and Italian sausage gumbo. Was it good? No. <laughs> Okay. No, no, really. All right. Cross that one off my shopping list yeah. then. It smells really good, though. Well, uh, the meat will smell good, but I'm not sure meat and soup always goes together. I don't know. Do you consider chili a soup? Not really. No. That's, I've had it when okay, it's I, just really more watery than, you know. I mean, I, I like chicken soup, but I don't like chicken soup with lots of bits of chicken in because the chicken doesn't really taste anything. I like the taste of the soup. Um, but I think just throwing meat into water and then kind of hoping it all comes out right isn't necessarily the right thing to do. But that's just me. <laughs> I, I like meat in my soup. Sometimes. Sometimes. Depends on the meat. Like Yeah, next week next week on Soup Fan, we'll be talking about <laughs> eating vegetables. <laughs> so, 
So let's uh, let's start in reverse order. Um, I mentioned that my my MacBook Air issues. Uh, mm. Let let me say I think the the MacBook Air is a brilliant little machine. If it suits your needs. Now the reason I got my MacBook Air and I mentioned it many times here on TechFan um, prior to actually buying one was that I wanted a dedicated writing machine, a machine that's mm-hmm. going to sit in my lap and I'm just going to use it for writing. It's not going to be a work computer, if you will. It's not going to yeah. be the one that I'm browsing the internet much with or any of that. It's, it's just for writing. And looking at the pictures online and even picking one up in a store and kind of examining it, it, it looks like it has a full-size keyboard. Yeah. So I thought, eh, this will work great for me. I mean, look, as you know, I've got this keyboard that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very super good typist. Key. Yes, super annoying yeah. to you. Which I don't hate. <laughs> I, was, I was besmirched and libeled last week when you said I hated your keyboard. <laughs> you hate it, don't lie. <laughs> I don't. I don't hate it. I, I, hate, is, hate is such a strong word. N- Okay, you're, you're jealous of my keyboard. Uh, well, that no, that that's a that's a different emotion. There could be some of that. There could be. I want one of those. <laughs> um, so that's what I got the MacBook Air for, and yeah. I I found out, and I, and I don't want to say I gave up really quick because I didn't. I've tried. It's not a full size keyboard. It's an optical illusion, and. I was constantly mistyping all the time. Well, if you're not typing right, then that is... I I tried different positions. Yeah, whatever the reason is, the keyboard obviously doesn't suit you, and that's not something you can really fix. No, you know, I I tried sitting at a desk typing with it, with it in my lap. I mean... I, I just can't type on the thing. It's just too small. My hands, where I lay my hands, it, it tends to make the... I feel like I'm holding it down. And I'm concentrating more on how I'm typing because I keep constantly screwing up typing on the machine than otherwise. So Now, I wonder if that's something to do with the, the height of the keyboard rather than the... No, it's, just, it's, the, no, it. it's the placement of the keys. It's just right. It's just not right for me. Now, when you look at it and you compare it to, like, say, my 15-inch MacBook Pro, they, they look almost identical. Small differences, but it's an optical illusion because I can type really well on the MacBook Pro and even better on this IBM keyboard. But I, I, I can't get past, I just can't type on the machine. So I, I'm going to get rid of it. Well, sad to hear that. But yeah. as you say, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't work for you, then it doesn't work for you. Yeah. That- you were talking last week, and and um, Frank agreed with you that it was top heavy. It now, feels. I, I kind of when I heard that, I thought that doesn't sound right to me because the the battery and the process and everything is all in the bottom. There's no way the screen portion can be heavier than the bottom. It feels so top wonder, heavy though. It feels heavy. Is is the screen moving? Is it? No. Is it? Could it be a hinge problem? No. 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 Screens. It's no. That's fine. It yeah. just feels top heavy when I'm typing on it. Or, because it's so light, as I'm typing, and I'm pushing down on the bottom, it's actually making the whole computer lean towards me a little bit because of the weight of my hands on on the computer uh, itself. So maybe yeah. that's what it is. I don't know. But I agreed with Frank, though. It feels top-heavy, even though it probably really isn't. And if, yeah. you, and if it feels top-heavy, it doesn't matter whether it really is or isn't. If you, if yeah, it no, feels no, that I, way. I appreciate what you mean. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I kind of, I think, I think you're on something when you say it could be something to do with the movement of the. Uh, I, I don't use mine on my lap. Um, I would always have it on a hard surface. Um, I don't, uh, I don't really with a with a computer that small. I don't really feel comfortable with it on my lap. I'm fine with a 15 or a 17 inch, but uh, something something that small it just doesn't. You know, get, I guess my thighs are too wide. Yeah, well, I don't <laughs> know. And it kind of, you know, it sits in the middle of my legs rather than actually on my legs. And so I don't I don't really use uh, a laptop like that unless I absolutely have to. Um, but, um, you know, look, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good people say it is. If it, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love mine. I've just traded up to the uh, 
to the uh, the core version, the i the i5 version, with the uh, battery keyboard and the Thunderbolt. But I look forward to the one day, some point in the future, when I might get to use it. Yeah, it'd be um, nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, but but you know, it's still still a fabulous machine for me. But uh, it's just one of those things, you know. It's gonna gotta be right for you. Do you think the thirteen inch might be any better? Um. Yeah, maybe, but if I'm going to go that route, I've already got a 15-inch MacBook Pro, so what the hell. Not to mention the fact that last week, while I was at work, I get a text from my wife saying uh, the PS3 died. And then two days later, I get a message that the plug, it looks like, broke on the Wii. So I get home. The first thing I do is check the Wii. And uh, sure enough, the little black end of the power plug had come out. And I said, well, that's not a problem because this isn't actually the Wii's power. It's going to a charging station, and then the charging station plugs into the Wii. And so I tried to plug it in with the regular power, and it didn't work. And she said, well, when I tried the other one, before I realized that the end had come out, it sparked. So I don't know if that did anything. And I said, yeah, it's dead. (laughs) That's not a good good sign when it sparks. That is, uh, was that your wife? Yeah, yeah. Death, death by wife. Death by wife. Electrical appliances often uh, I'm go not, that way. I, so, so I can kind of a little bit blame that on her, but I'm not going to because well, know. it's it's an accident. It's an accident. You know, not a biggie. She didn't. She yeah, as my wife would say, she didn't do it on purpose. No. Although she keeps thinking I keep bringing it up because I'm upset about it, and I'm not. Like I said, <laughs> the beginning of this week on, on the phone, you mentioned it here again, didn't you? I did. I said, <laughs> oh, Star Wars and Blu-ray. Well, I don't have a Blu-ray player that'll work now. And she went, you don't have a Blu-ray player? And I said, no, that's the PS3. Oh, so what did she do to break the PS3? Uh, that's a known problem. Um, right. That's something that happens with PS3. Now, this is the first, very first generation 80-gig PS3 that actually had the PS2 built into it. It's the Grand right. Piano yeah. Black thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's I'm getting the blinking red. And once that happens, you can actually send it in for eh, 150 bucks or so, and they'll fix it. But it's a <laughs> yeah, right. It's a known design problem, but unlike Microsoft, who when the Red Ring of Death, where they just replaced it for you, Sony will charge you for fixing their design problem. Yeah, they're Japanese. Oh, what a what a piece of work <laughs> they are! <laughs> so screw that. you, Sony. Yeah. So I it's, so you know if I get rid of the uh, the MacBook Air, I've got other things I could I could yeah. spend that money on. So if anybody else there is listening, has got a credit card. Hey, you buy a Wii, a 360, and a PS3, send it to me, and I'll send you the... the uh, uh, and, and actually, it would be cheaper. It'd be around 700 bucks for all, all three. So, there you go. Um, you have... Whatever happened to the uh, th- some of the genres of video games from the 80s and 90s? Do you have some... I've been, I've been thinking about this, because, I, I, you know, I like to play games when mm-hmm. I travel. It's one of the few times when I'm stuck in a hotel room of an evening where I get... A bit of time and some well, we've been talking game. about games quite a bit in the last month or yeah. so on TechFan. Yeah, um, and uh, obviously I can't bring my Xbox 360 with me, especially to Botswana. Um, given the problems I had with my luggage coming here, it's a damn good thing I didn't have an Xbox 360 in it. Yeah. <laughs> it probably never would have arrived. Um, so so I, I do tend to... Now I've got a work PC with me. I don't have my MacBook Air with me at the moment um, because I, I need to you know do work stuff. So I've got my uh, my Lenovo... Uh, ThinkPad, and um, I uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago, good old games who do old games. So I uh, I downloaded a few games in there. I've been playing a bit of Wing Commander, um, that sort of thing. Was that the one Wing Commander? Was that the one that uh, Mark Hamill was in? He was in the later versions of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And for its for the time, you know, this game came out um, the late eighties. This was um, this was a this was kind of a groundbreaking game in terms of how it how it looks it looks terrible nowadays but well back then oh it was it was it was one of those games where people bought pcs for and people upgraded pcs for to play it better you know and it's a space simulator and it got me thinking about some of the other great space simulators that have been going you know that come out over the years yeah which is you know games like x-wing a classic i still have a copy of x-wing for the mac uh or black and white you know that would be a good game on the uh ipad well, here's the thing, right? I think to myself, hang, hang on a minute. How come nobody makes that sort of game anymore? Those think... games were huge. They made about six Wing Commander games. Yep. There was about four X-Wing games. 
there was you know there was free space and and all, those games were enormous and then the, the flight sims and the helicopter sims and that sort of thing and then you think about other stuff like point and click adventures um you know those these games used to be enormous they used to create whole companies on the back of these types of games and they just they're just not to be seen anymore yeah well I don't, I don't, I don't every, everything I don't that you've mentioned I, I i know examples on ios that that are those games that the, the point and click and space sims and flight sims and yeah but you know what there's two problems with that because i'm I'm aware of those as well the point and click adventures are often re they're often the same games ported yeah but they're mostly not updated they're just kind of the original games yeah yeah well um, familiarity it, breeds comfort yeah this you know what but as i say wing commander on the pc it's still fun to play but it looks terrible yeah, well. yeah, and <laughs> You know, it would really use from a bit of graphical polish. Mm-hmm. You know, bearing in mind that you can virtually run the thing in Java nowadays, it's it's that primitive. Um, you kind of think to yourself, well, if people really like these games before, why aren't they being brought up to date? You know, how... Uh, I don't Hollywood know. I think in- some of it is that we just kind of move on. What was, you know, Pet Rocks were popular at 1.2, and you know, they're not really out there anymore. But, um, yeah, but these... These these genres, as I say, they spawned companies. They sold millions of copies, made millions of dollars. I find it hard to believe that nobody is interested in playing them anymore. I think that mm, I think some people are, but I think it's very small, and that's kind of on evidence with the iOS games of of uh, not real. They're not. They're just really not that popular. So I think yeah, there's some of that. Um, the older generation like us are probably the, one, the only ones that are buying those kind of games. And the younger, younger generation, they didn't come up with those games, David. They came up with GTAs and Halos and Marios. and So those are the type of games that they were brought up on, and those are the kind of games that they like. So, eh, I don't know. What, what do you attribute it to? I, I, I don't understand. It, it's just like... You got to like the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. It's like all these genres just up and died. It's literally everyone just disappeared. I think part of it was a lot, there was an awful lot of consolidation in the industry, and a lot of the smaller companies that made these games were bought up by big companies like EA and Activision, who then just turned them into game studios and then rolled them up. And so I think a lot of the creative talent and and the creative. Um, willingness to take a, a creative risk on these games has disappeared you know the games industry now has become like hollywood in that it's you well know, it's the major game sequel after sequel yeah, yeah well yes or no i yeah, mean but that that's what that's where companies like origin and uh lucasfilm and everything that's where they all went to they all got bought up and turned into um activision ea and and the other big game companies that's where they ended up but you look at so, ea and they say they're making more money on the the iPad now than any other platform. Yeah, but they're, all they're doing is churning out the same games. Madden Fifty Two. Yeah, yeah. Good, Tiger Woods Golf. But you no... look on iOS and and you look at the top games and you're seeing stuff like Forget Me Not. You're seeing stuff like Jetpack, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, or yeah. The Getaway. These are by small publishers. Uh, heck, if you if you really want to get technical, look at uh, what is the Angry Birds. I mean, mm. it's a slingshot game. In essence, and it was from a, a nobody publisher that had a big hit, and now they're massive. They're talking about cartoons and movies and all kinds of stuff. Um, I don't know, David. I, I think that if you only concentrate on the consoles, you're absolutely right. But I think the consoles are shrinking in game size as far as popularity, and I think mobile yeah. is getting more popular, and you are starting to see a lot more smaller developers taking risks that. Look at a game like uh, Bryce Manor, where you play a spider, and and the whole thing is you have to make webs to catch bugs in, and then you eat the bugs, and then you progress to the next room. Just unbelievably beautiful graphics. The gameplay just works. Uh, It's a fun game to play, and there's no way in hell that EA or Blizzard or any of these other companies would have ever made this game. Uh, It's a very small two- or three-man developer who did it, developing company, and they made a lot of money on it because it's a great game, and you never would have I, saw I, that on yeah. a console. Never. I, yeah, I, I 
I welcome that and I agree completely with you. What I would like to see though, one of the one of the things about some of the games I've been talking about, games like X Wing and um Wing Commander certainly and on all the point and click adventures is they had really good stories and part of the fun of the game wasn't just solving the puzzles or playing the next level or anything. It was getting through the story, sure. finding out how the story ended. There's not a lot of games like that nowadays. Um, uh, certainly not know. mobile. And, and I, I wish, I wish that there were more. Certainly on the iPad, of games that were that were not just a, a fun game mechanic or something, but they had a real story behind it. And, I don't know. And you look. I, I, I would disagree with you there. I think you, look at the Halo games. They have a really intriguing story. Um, Infamous 2, like I just played. There's um, a story there. Yeah, a story on a first-person shooter, though, isn't quite the same thing. Well, that's now, now we're in semantics. I mean... Well, no, because the difference is, is with, a, with a, a game where you're playing, you know, where you have... You're playing through a level and you have a variety of choices, and how you perform in that level then varies the story. It's well, that's a point-and-click adventure. Yeah. Yeah, is that? But that's much more interesting to me than um, you know a, a modern warfare or a Halo game where literally you're fed a piece of storyline and then you play a level, and when you get to complete that level, then you're fed the next piece of storyline. Well, you know what the solution though, David, is S- start your own oh. game company. But <laughs> well, the thing is, it's the not thing very is, hard I, anymore. I mean, yeah, I, I agree that that will be one solution. Um, you know, <laughs> I'll do that in my spare time and top of everything else. That's right. Do. Um, the other, the other thing though, I would like to see is, uh, as I mentioned before, one of the things it, is the the game industry is now dominated by these big companies who are kind of run in a, a similar way to Hollywood studios. Hollywood is spending a lot of time remaking stuff from the early eighties. You know, Footloose and uh and and things like that are appearing in in the movie theaters and you think you look at those and you think god knows why but remake wing commander yeah i'd be up for that i'd i'd be interested in that you know, but you what, know we say that and then and then on the next show we're going to complain about why does hollywood not make anything original why can't game yeah. developers come out with original games I, well, I the point is is that in my, if, if game developers are not being able to come up with original story-driven games, then I'd rather like to see them mine some of the older stuff. Because the point is, a game is a, a game brought up today. It's just as compelling as, as originally was. A movie that's remade with a, a new cast and is changed and brought up today is often less than it originally was. Yeah, but then again, we're talking about the execution. We're not talking about the idea itself. And I think the idea of, well, you know, Wing Commander was extremely popular back in the uh, early 90s. Let's release it for the iPad now. Well, mm, depends on what they do with it. You yeah, know, but the problem it, it becomes is, is with the, the execution. The execution for those sort of games often is, oh, people are nostalgic for this game, so let's just rebundle it in a way so it will play on the iPad. But we don't need to bother updating the graphics or the music or anything like that. That costs too much money. What I'd like to see them do is is do that exactly and actually turn it into a modern, a modern game, something that's that's people are proud to play and not... Because the problem with the nostalgia games, you know, Duke Nukem and stuff like that, is that you play them a couple of times, it brings back a few memories, and then you don't touch them again because they're just horrible to look at. <laughs> um, what about you something want- like Pac-Man? Yeah. Okay. I'll give you the arcade games. <laughs> it's it's a it's I'll a two edged sword. I'm, it really is yeah, because I, if I you get too I, far away from I, the original, people say, "Ah, it's nothing like the original." If you stay just like the original, people say, "Well, hold on, we've got all this power now. We've got, you know, it looks like crap compared to modern games. I don't want to play this. It's fun for a few minutes, but after that, it's like, eh." So there's a fine line somewhere in there is what you're saying. There's a fine line, but what it comes down to is I want a remake of Wing Commander. There you go. And I'm happy until I get one. (laughs) I think we're going to uh, save the iPod Shuffle for uh, the next show. Um, The the exciting news I was talking about earlier in the show when it came to Frank at Mech Specialist, who, again, was my guest co-host last week, is that there is going to be a new podcast coming out very, very soon. I've seen the first, oh, four episodes worth of uh, content planning ahead of time. Now, Kevin Shea was on the Tech Fan Podcast six months ago. 
or so. Mm-hmm. And he was very good. In fact, he was on twice, I believe. And we had Frank on last week. And they're both very good at doing this podcasting thing. So I'm happy to announce that they are actually going to start podcasting. It's going to be the Mac Specialist Podcast. It's going to be uh, business-related, obviously, because it's part of Mac Specialist. But to kind to kind of uh, facilitate an audience for that show, instead of just starting out from nothing and trying to find an audience in that thing, that the Mac Specialist podcast is actually going to be a part of the My Mac Podcast network of shows. So, Excellent. Uh, not only is Mac Specialist getting a podcast, uh, which maybe I'll be on eventually, but it's I didn't want to be the guy doing that show. You know what I mean? No. Um, no, and I'm actually looking really. I'm really looking forward to hearing Kevin and and Frank do that show. I think they're going to be fantastic. But yeah. so not only are they getting a show, the the MyMac Network is going to get a new show. So I, I think it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. The yeah. content that they're preparing for that show, I think, uh, obviously it's going to be Mac related, but it's not going to be just a standard Mac podcast. That's there's a thousand of them. This is really going to have a focus. And I think most Mac users will get a lot out of listening to the show. So Excellent. It ought to be pretty Hopefully good. Hopefully you can learn something. Absolutely. Heaven forbid, right? Yeah. So, David, uh, we'll be back next week on Friday to record another episode. Are you going to be in Botswana still, or are you going to be back in no, the UK? No, I'm, I'm flying back on um, Tuesday night, so I should be home. You'll be off, in the off good and rested by the time we record the next episode. Oh, I, doubt, I doubt it. No. <laughs> I, I, I know I would. It'd be like two yeah. weeks before I... I mean, heck, two weeks ago, you were in Las Vegas. Then you're in Africa. Then you're in the UK. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. Uh, kind of a little bit burned out at the moment. But, I'm, um, I'm tired just thinking about it, dude. I'm ready to take a nap. <laughs> Seriously. I'm like, ugh. Not me. All right, David, my friend. I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks. See you soon. <laughs>